Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Hello, all you beautiful people. The beautiful people, the beautiful people. Well, I was going a little more less uh, terrifying than Marilyn Manson. Hi, beautiful people. Oh, that's nice. The beautiful people, the beautiful people. Here's our disclaimer. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque. Grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Well, it's uh, two negatives make a positive. So hot and hot? I guess so. It'll cool you down, right? Yeah. It's math. It's basic math. I got this. We're on episode 84. Holy crackers. Yeah. Wow. We're uh, 16 away from uh, cracking into that uh, triple digits. That is really bonkers, man. I know. I'm pretty excited. It feels like we just started this thing. It does feel that way sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And then other times... While I'm writing <laughs> and researching, it does not feel it that does way. Not feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. I still enjoy that part of what I what we do. But draining as hell emotionally. Uh, this one's another brutal one, folks. Sweet. I had to take a, a bunch of breaks while I was writing. Carol would ask me, "What am I doing downstairs?" And I would say, "I need to talk to somebody who's nice, <laughs> and I need to be able to breathe air." <laughs> that doesn't have these words in it yeah I'm about to say so well, i look forward to hearing the tale i do not look forward to being emotionally drained at the end yeah and again a word of caution for our listeners this week uh there's the murder of a young boy that takes place during pedophilic acts so we try to treat it as gently as we possibly can and we leave a lot of detail out but there are triggers ahead folks well, this week we're off to Toronto in the summer of 1977. Oh, okay. This week we're off to Toronto in the summer of 1977. After going missing for three days, 
The body of 12-year-old Emmanuel Jacques was found dumped on the roof of a seedy Young Street establishment. This story is about Emmanuel Jacques, the victim of the Toronto Shoeshine Boy murder. Wow, dumped on a roof. Yeah. Ugh. Much of the research for this episode comes from archived newspaper articles, court documents, and Robert J. Hoshowski's excellent book on the subject titled Outraged, The Murder of Shoeshine Boy Emmanuel Jacques That Shocked the City of Toronto. And his book is excellent. You really need to check it out. He is the one who has all the information um, that other folks don't have about this particular crime. So I 100% recommend this book on Amazon. And like I say, a lot of our research comes from it. And where we quote it directly, we will uh, attribute it to Mr. Hoshowski. The quintessential book on the topic? That is correct. The city of Toronto was hot that summer. Much like New York's sleazy Times Square area was at the time, the Young Street Strip was full of unsavory characters creeping about to the numerous sex shops and massage parlors. The area was notorious for chicken hawks, the name at the time for pedophilic adult men who might lure young boys or girls into sexual situations and even prostitution. Still the kids came. On the afternoon of July 28, 1977, three boys had been shining shoes for change on the corner of Young and Dundas. Emmanuel Jacques, 12, his older brother Luciano Jacques, 14, were the sons of Portuguese-speaking immigrant parents from the Azores, who'd arrived in 1974 after Father Valdemiro had earned enough cash as a cleaner to bring his wife and their kids to Canada. A friend of the brothers, 12-year-old Shane McLean, was there too, hustling shines for 50 cents. The Jacques family was struggling. Although their parents expressed concern, they allowed the boys to hang out in the area as there was less likelihood of trouble if they stuck together in a group. As well, the corner the boys worked on was a busy one, very public and open. The 10 to 20 bucks each boy could earn on a good day helped a lot. This was not a good day, for Emmanuel at least. He'd only earned about a dollar so far. At about 5.30 p.m., the boys were approached by a tall, shirtless stranger with ragged brown hair wearing coveralls. He had a pair of shoes on, but another pair of worn work boots in a plastic bag that he wanted shined. The guy said he was from out of town. The boys thought, jackpot. Luciano and Emmanuel took a boot each as Shane started to shine the shoes. The man was friendly and chatted with the boys about Bruce Lee and claimed he knew Kung Fu, showing them some of his moves. The stranger gave the boys $2 for shining his shoes and another $2 for sprucing up his crappy work boots. He'd peeled off the four bucks from a wad of cash that looked to contain hundreds of dollars. It's not entirely clear how the conversation segued to its next chapter, but the stranger said he had another business proposition for the boys. He offered them $35 an hour for helping to move some photographic equipment. He said it might take a while, so there was lots of money to be earned. Twelve-year-old Emmanuel was the most interested of the three. The other two were somewhat skeptical. There was something creepy about this guy, and they had a gut feeling that something was not right. He'd been uncomfortably leering at blonde-haired Shane, touching him a couple of times, even picking him up playfully at one point. 
Shane and Luciano said they'd have to ask their parents if it was okay to go with him. There were payphones in a nearby restaurant, so the pair ran off, leaving Emmanuel alone with the stranger on the bustling street near the bus stop where they'd set up shop. They thought he'd be fine there. Both sets of parents said no, of course. The boys were not to go anywhere with the man. His offer was definitely too good to be true. From Robert J. Hushowski's book, Outraged, quote, Returning to the intersection a few minutes later, the boy saw Emmanuel and the stranger walking away in the distance. They yelled out to him, but the sidewalk was packed, with Emmanuel and the man disappearing into the crowd, not seeing or hearing them shouting. Frantic, the boys began looking for a policeman. None could be found. Yeah, that, that gets me all kinds of uh, worked up. Okay. Well, do you want to... Oh, no, let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Somehow the stranger had lured Emmanuel away, most likely with the promise all the money would be his. The boys ran to their homes and told their parents what had happened and police were called right away. I like that these kids in, in the late 70s were still very uh, alert to safety and running off and telling their parents, not just dismissing anything. They must have felt terrible, though, that they had left Emmanuel alone with the guy. Absolutely. But we hear we hear lots of stories where it's just kind of like, you know, they just assumed he would be okay and mm-hmm. didn't say any, you know, and so like yeah. good, good on them for, for taking some action. Though. Yeah. They did mention a gut feeling that something wasn't right. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. But it's easy, especially as uh, young kids, it's easy to dismiss those. And the guy probably said to them, hey, it's okay, look, there's people everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Shane and Luciano were questioned at length with the hope they'd remember some more specifics about the stranger. Apparently, the conversation had gone on for some time between the trio of the boys and the man. He'd even tipped one to run to a store to buy him some cigarettes. The boys also recalled noting a red mark on the man's arm. He claimed it was from photochemicals, that he splashed onto himself during photo processing. According to the book Outrage, Emmanuel was 4 feet 5 inches tall, about 80 pounds, fair complexion, brown medium-length hair, and hazel eyes. At the time of his disappearance, Emmanuel was wearing a short-sleeve yellow shirt with floral prints, dark blue pants, and blue and yellow running shoes. He also had a t-shirt given to him by a young woman working at a shop on Young Street, with her image silk-screened on the front. Cops and volunteer searchers hit the streets right away looking for Emmanuel. Emmanuel's photo was handed out by door-knocking investigators, and every newspaper and TV news organization had photos of Emmanuel in their next editions. Radio stations gave descriptions of Emmanuel and his alleged abductor, regularly asking anyone who'd seen either of them to please call police immediately. I forget anyways how spoiled we are with immediacy Mm -hmm. this day and age that, you know... It was not that long ago where if you want something out for the public, you've got to wait a day. You've yeah. got to wait for it to get in or the press. Hours, yeah. or, you know, whereas now it's if you want the message out, you can just post something and it can get shared quickly. And so like my initial instinct is, oh, why wait 24 hours? I say, well, there weren't options back then. Mm. That's how That's how it worked. Investigators turned the city inside out over the next three days. They checked out industrial areas and empty warehouses, alleys, dumpsters, and abandoned houses. Other groups were assigned to parks and other wooded areas, and more were sent to check out the waterways. None of the alleged sightings of Emmanuel panned out. From the book Outraged, quote, Missing person reports stated, 
Plainclothes officers were also dispatched to gay bars and, quote, other homo hangouts, including a gay drop-in center on Granby Street. Also of interest were the city's youth hostels, hotels and nightclubs, including Hampton Court, Ramada Inn, Avon Moor, Carriage House, Junction Hotel, Oxford Inn, Warwick, the St. Charles Tavern, Momo's Disco, Club Manatee, and many others. Expanding their search, Canadian National Railway Police were notified to check on train station lockers and train tracks. No trace of the boy was uncovered, end quote. <sighs> it sounds like they were being very thorough. Yeah, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. That uh, I love that they're taking it seriously so quickly. At 5.30 p.m. on Sunday, August 1st, a wild-eyed man named Saul David Batesh walked into the Regent Street Police Station, lawyer in tow. Batesh was claiming he had information that he knew what had become of Emmanuel and wanted to, quote, help police. Oh, no, okay. Batesh started out with a weird story that he was doing research into homosexual prostitution for Chum FM, a popular Toronto radio station. But over the ensuing hours of questioning, his story began to unravel. Saul Batesh knew much more than he'd first claimed. In fact, he was one of the perpetrators. His story made the veteran police officers feel ill. Emmanuel was dead, murdered after hours of rape and sexual torture. Oh, God. Okay. This is going to be a terrifying story. At 5.30 in the morning, he gave up Emmanuel's location. He told cops that Emmanuel's body could be found on the roof above the rub and tug on Young Street called Charlie's Angels. Mm. Cops found Emmanuel Jacques' body right where Batesha claimed, buried under garbage in an air vent. His body was wrapped in dirty curtains and two garbage bags, then left to rot in the summer heat. Yeah, just disregarded. Not a, not a care for the child. Not human. Ugh. But Batesh hadn't acted alone. He said there were three more men involved. According to Batesh, their names were Joseph Woods, Robert Wayne Cribbs, and Werner Gruner. He told cops that they'd better hurry. All three men were hopping a CN train to Vancouver that morning. The other three men were picked up, and on Monday, August 2nd, 1977, all four were charged with the murder of Emmanuel Jacques. Oh, thank God they got them all before they took off. Yeah. According to Hur- According to Hachowski's book, Outraged, and examples I found in newspapers.com archives, some organizations reported that Emmanuel had been, quote, sexually abused in a homosexual orgy, and we'll get into why that is a problematic statement in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Horrifying details emerged over the next few days. People in Young Street were dangerously split in their opinions. Many were calling for the cleanup of Young Street. It was not a pleasant time for the homosexual community in the city. They were unfairly targeted by homophobes, and this terrible misinformation gave more ammo to the usual assholes. There was a lot of confusion in those days between homosexuality and pedophilia. Many of the square masses did not understand the two things could exist exclusive of one another. 
In some people's ignorant minds, homosexuals were always pedophiles and should not be around children. We know this not to be true. Yeah, it's an interesting timing. I literally just finished listening to season three of uh, Uncover, where it's all about uh, Bruce MacArthur, but it goes heavily into the uh, how the LGBTQ community was um, viewed in Toronto in yeah. the 70s. And so like a lot of this is like, oh, wow, I was just hearing yeah. about uh, and hearing comments from regular citizens mm -hmm. in that time saying very similar things to this. So yeah, interesting timing. There are still unscientific and otherwise unsubstantiated claims that continue to perpetuate this idea, preying on the ignorance and fears of others. If you're one of those who refuse to see the actual evidence and you don't like us challenging your beliefs on this, we invite you to go take a steaming shit in your hat. Yeah. Uh, I'll take a steaming shit in your hat. Yeah. We'll wait. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Investigators used a fire department ladder truck with a rescue basket to carefully remove Emmanuel's remains from atop the third floor of 245 Young Street. It was quickly determined that Emmanuel had died of asphyxia during during Emmanuel had died of asphyxia during drowning. Oh my God! Can you imagine those uh, uh, the first responders? How just unbelievably difficult this would be mm. to to have to find and respond to and deal with. Oh, Shane and Luciano ID'd a photo of Saul David Patesh as the stranger who'd lured Emmanuel away as they went to call their parents. Who was this guy? Piece of shit. Saul David Patesh, 27 at the time of his arrest, was already known to police. Three years earlier, he'd been working as a postal employee and charged with assault, causing bodily harm during a postal dispute. Prosecution was later stayed after charges of abuse of process by agents acting on behalf of the Crown. So it wasn't that he didn't do it, it was just things were not... Procedural errors yeah. screwed up, yeah. Handling mail was the only steady job that he'd ever had. He lost that job when he was jailed for 90 days after he was found in possession of $800 worth of other people's goods he'd stolen from the mail. Jeez, okay. He'd also been seen performing a, quote, homosexual act with another employee at the post office. Hmm. A little digging led to more information about Batesh. During the ensuing trial, Helen Bullock a Toronto Star reporter gathered some interesting facts about Patesh's background. She said, quote, He was just another baby until he pushed his crib halfway across the room to bang his head against the wall. He was one more blonde cherubic face in the kindergarten class when he beat another boy with a hockey stick. Until he shoved his mother down the stairs, attacked his father with a rake, and hurled knives at his cornered petrified sister, his temper tantrums were forgivable. End quote. As a child as an as a baby yeah wow neighborhood kids were terrified of him he was often violent yeah i'm terrified of him he was only three years old when he'd poured nail polish into a maid's ear as she slept what the f at some point his adoptive mom had noted bruises on his body when he was visiting from his time at a private school Private school was the only option he'd had as he'd been removed from four public ones. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. One of the male teachers at the private school were dismissed over the incident, but, I mean, he had been misbehaving quite a bit beforehand, so this may or may not have been a formative uh, experience for him. Yeah, and 
Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, there's because he's such he acted out so much. It, you know, it could just be from trying to restrain him or something. I I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. But. When he was attending another private school at 15, he said that he planned to quote electrocute his parents on his return home. His folks had a lock on the bedroom door. They were terrified of him. This isn't wow. Not exactly an auspicious start to life. No. I mean, I I rarely hear about, uh, we hear about some pretty sick people as a child uh, who, who as children were. Like Terry Driver. Yeah. But like, this is like quite egregious, all of the things he's, like, it's really bold and like, oh. Yeah. If there were such a thing as the mythological bad seed, perhaps Batesh yeah, would be one. Yeah. And the, the demon. It's unclear what happened to him in his early life. His family was well off and they were perplexed by the lifestyle he ended up in, turning tricks as a male hustler in the bathrooms and alleyways of Toronto's seedier side. He was also known for leather and handcuffs if the John called for it. Two days before the discovery of Emmanuel's body and the day after the murder, Saul Batesh saw his mom, who he hated for nagging his father for years. According to Helen Bullock's article, Batesh's mother said, quote, you have such evil written all over your face. You were so handsome. Oh. And Saul Batesh's reply was, I'm still your boy. Oh, wow. What an odd dynamic it seems like there is there. All four men charged in Emmanuel's death were creepy looking, disheveled, and hairy. Bespectacled Joseph Woods was called the mad scientist and saw himself that way. According to Outraged, quote, Woods looked and acted the part inventing bizarre mind-control devices and believing himself to be gifted with psychic abilities, enabling him to look into the minds of others and read their thoughts or make them do his bidding. Mm-hmm. Yep. End, end quote. Mm-hmm. The largest of the men was Robert Wayne Cribbs, standing six foot six inches tall. According to Outrage, quote, he was nicknamed Stretcher, and had a long-standing reputation for his unpredictable, eruptive temper, which he used to his benefit while working as a bouncer at Charlie's Angel's body rub. Okay. The last man charged was the hirsute, which, if you don't know what that means, is just very hairy, an enigmatic German-born Werner Gruner. He was, according to Outraged, quote, known for riding his bicycle outfitted with streamers and a radio up and down Young Street at all hours. So it sounds like a weird bunch of characters. It for really sure. does. A weird cast of, of, well, creeps. Turned out to be criminals, yeah. Uh, and quite a, you know, no one that you would want a young boy to be hanging around at all. I wouldn't want my kids hanging out with any adult, let alone people like, uh, yeah. yeah, the mad scientist. Yeah. Emmanuel Jacques was buried on August 4th, 1977, the day before my own eighth birthday. The church was crammed with mourners and another 3,000 stood vigil outside. Hmm. Also outside were people circulating a petition, quote, stamp out gays and body rubs. Oh, I, again, I, I get it's 1977, very different times, but I just get so uncomfortable and just that, so angry when I yeah. hear quotes and comments mm -hmm. like that and, and not to say that they don't still exist because i'm positive they do but when you hear it so pervasive among such a large group i just get so uncomfortable and angry 
And that's why I chose this story, not only because it was a compelling story from the perspective of a young person is murdered, but it's also, there's a lot of prejudice at that time in Canada and Toronto uh, at the time. Oh, yes. About the gay community. And their reaction to this was um, to go after the gay community. These guys were pedophiles. Yes. They weren't. It had, it had nothing to do it, with their sexual orientation. No. It had to do with the fact that they're fucking criminals. Pedophiles. Pedophiles. You know, like... But we need to we need to be careful here because, as we'll see, not all of them... Hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. But okay. anyway, so we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah. Many called for the death penalty to be reinstated in this case. It had only been abolished a year before by our current PM's dad, the controversial character and longtime PM himself, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Yeah, that was a big movement around that time, as I learned on that other show. It it was a big movement. Uh, uh, The death penalty was really, there were a lot of people wanting the death penalty back. Mm-hmm. The case was going to trial relatively quickly in regard to Canadian justice. Uh, In January 1978, the country would hear the details of Emmanuel's final moments, and we'll get into that after this break. Oh, boy. And we're back. Honorable Mr. Justice Maloney presided over the jury trial, which began on January 16, 1978. All four accused had pled not guilty. The story came out, but not before a surprise. On February 8, 1978, Robert Wayne Stretch Cribs changed his plea to guilty as charged. After a brief deliberation, the jury returned a verdict of guilty of first-degree murder, of course. If you're saying you're guilty of first-degree murder, they're going to find you. You're going to be found guilty of first-degree murder. This put a kink into the defense plans, and the Crown also had to be careful not to trample the rights of the remaining defendants, deserved or not. Mm -hmm. Leading up to the day of Emmanuel's abduction, in front of Werner Gruner, Robert Wayne Cribbs and Saul David Batesh had chatted about their desire to bring a boy to the apartment above Charlie's Angels. They wanted to shoot explicit photos of themselves together with the boy. Cribs was known by the others for his preference of underage boys, having been involved with some before. From the book Outraged, quote, over the coming weeks, a number of teenagers and young boys told the court about their experiences with the men Some were runaways or street kids from broken homes who said the apartment above Charlie's Angels was a place they could sleep for a few nights. One of the boys, David, a pseudonym, a 16-year-old forced to pose for pornographic photos in the dingy apartment less than two weeks before Emmanuel was murdered. While in the room naked, the teenager stated Gruner threatened him with a pellet gun while Cribs and Batesh took photos of him and forced to perform sex acts with Cribs, Woods, and Batesh at knife point. The same youngster was also tied to a bed in the apartment and raped by Batesh. Another 16-year-old, Mark, also a pseudonym, 
testified he was photographed masturbating by Cribs while Gruner again stood nearby with a pellet gun in hand to ensure he did what he was told or face the consequences. End quote. There were lots of photographic evidence in the way of developed and undeveloped images found in the possession of the men when they'd been taken into custody and the apartment searched. They'd even used CB radios to lure young CB enthusiasts into their trap using various handles and money, clothing, and even bicycles as payment for nude photographs taken of the boys at their lair. On July 28th, after luring Emmanuel Jacques away, Saul Batesh took him for a meal at the local Howard Johnson's restaurant. A waiter later confirmed having served the pair. Batesh took Emmanuel around to the back avoid, uh, to avoid being seen entering the building at 245 Young Street. The pair entered the building via the fire escape. Gruner opened the door to the third floor apartment he shared with Joseph Woods and Robert Cribbs. Emmanuel and Batesh entered. Emmanuel Jacques would not leave alive. Oh, man. Emmanuel was taken into Woods' bedroom and coerced into allowing Batesh and Cribbs to snap photos of him at first with his clothes on. Mm -hmm. Gruner was apparently in his own room at the time. Woods claimed he was, quote, smoking dope and was too stoned to know what was going on. Although the photo session started with Emmanuel's clothes on, they were removed piece by piece as the shoot went on, and this is over a number of hours, until he was finally completely naked. From outrage, handcuffed and tied to the bed with wire, he was repeatedly brutalized by Patesh and Cribs, who said they would kill him if he didn't keep quiet. At one point, the son of the owner of Charlie's Angels came upstairs with a friend wanting to smoke marijuana, unaware of what was happening behind the closed door, which was blocked by Cribs. Oh, my God. The boy fought and screamed the entire time he was being brutalized, over 12 hours. Ugh. Emmanuel was given a Valium mixed with orange drink crystals to shut him up, but it didn't work. They tried to shoot him up with more Valium, cooked up, but could not find a vein as he squirmed, and they kept poking him with the needle. Oh, my God. He was going to tell on him. They knew it. No one else had fought like he did. They had to do something. Perhaps they could secret him on the train with them for their planned trip to Vancouver, but they knew that wouldn't fly. Woods, who believed he had special powers of the mind, even tried to hypnotize Emmanuel with a weird spiral device he'd used to mesmerize other boys they'd molested. That didn't work either. Yeah, yeah. None of them wanted to go to jail, so the decision was made to kill Emmanuel Jacques. But how? In Batesh's own words, I went in and I put the stretch cord, stretch plastic to hold suitcases onto a car, around his neck, and I started to choke him. It lasted about two to three minutes, and I just couldn't finish the job. I came out, and by that time, Joe suggested trying to put a pillow over his head so that I couldn't see him and so be able to finish the job. Stretch and I went back in, and we decided to drown him. So we did it that way. From Outraged, Bleeding from his injuries, bruised, arms riddled with puncture wounds, Emmanuel was fading in and out of consciousness when Batesh and Woods dragged him off the bed and carried him to the kitchen sink, which they'd filled with water. Turning him upside down, 
Cribs grabbed him by both legs and Batesh held his head underwater. Gruner testified he was asleep during much of this time and said he believed they were going to let the boy go. Wow. This is heavy. After Emmanuel stopped moving, they knew for sure he was dead. They wrapped him up, making jokes the whole time about what they should do with him. They even stole the $3 that he had on him. They said he didn't need it. After attempting to dig a hole, the group decided to dispose of Emmanuel on the roof where he was later found. Saul Batesh testified at trial. He said he, quote, felt nothing about the boy's death. Oh, I very rarely am speechless, but I'm very rarely wanting to inflict harm upon others. But in this situation, right now, my feeling is I want to destroy these guys, specifically Saul Batash. I want to torture him. Uh, I just, oh. Whew. Yeah. After brief deliberations, the jury came back with the verdicts. Saul Batesh, guilty of first-degree murder. Joseph Woods was not guilty of first-degree murder, but guilty of second-degree murder. Werner Gruner was found not guilty, and when released, was told by the judge that the only crime he'd committed at the time was his poor choice of friends. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, I do know. I'm not comfortable. But he was acquitted. Yeah. The judge also expressed some problematic views after the trial about the commonality of sex between homosexuals and children. From the Ottawa Citizen, he said, quote, It makes me wonder if those persons who advocate legislation to protect homosexuals by an amendment to the Human Rights Code aren't misguided. End quote. He continued, quote, I wonder there shouldn't be legislation to protect the people you seek to entice, end quote. Oh, Like, talk about wow. way, off, way off the mark there, Justice Maloney. Holy shit, That uh, hearing that from a judge, the judge who presided over this case. Yep. I mean, this is the way a lot of conservative folks felt at that time, and... This is the way some conservative folks still, still feel yeah. here in Canada. Maybe not to that extreme. Well, but, they uh, aren't as vocal because it's not okay yeah, anymore yeah. To, to voice that. But we know there are some of you out there who really believe this crap. Oh, wow. Maloney went on to say how he was disappointed the word gay had become a, quote, perversion of a fine and decent English word. Oh, my. I mean, you can't help but wonder uh, how much of an impact. Well, I was going to say how much of an impact his beliefs had on the, the, the trial. But in, uh. regardless, Batesh and Cribs both got life without parole for 25 years because Cribs had, had admitted to it earlier. Yeah. Woods was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for 18 years, even though the jury had wanted to be more lenient with him. Yeah. Gruner walked out of court a free man. The prosecution sought to contest his acquittal, but it was later thrown out, and we're not sure what's become of him. And that's all we're going to say, because we don't know. We don't know the details. Yeah. And it was, you know, his word against theirs and all that kind of stuff. They said he was involved. A lot of these kids said he was involved, uh, these other witnesses with the pellet gun and all that kind of thing. 
So I don't quite understand what happened as far as his being acquitted, but that is the decision of the court, and that is what's happened. What so he is to, not guilty. Yeah, it's what we have to go with, like it or not. Mm-hmm. Correct. A Toronto Star article written later by Steph Doney talked about life behind bars for the trio convicted of murdering Emmanuel Jacques. As we've discussed before, the general prison population does not take kindly to child murderers and rapists, calling them skinners or chicken hawks. Yep. Well, good. These guys had to spend their time in isolated 12 by 6 foot cells, isolated in protective custody. Well, good. Batesh claimed he was fearful of dying at the hand of another inmate and was writing an autobiography to be released by his lawyer upon his death. Just over a year into his sentence, someone got to Batesh in his sleep, slashing his throat in what was just millimeters from being a fatal attack. Kingston police were investigating, but it's unclear whether anyone was actually charged with the attempt on Batesh's life at the time. Yeah, I can't say I, I feel bad for him. No. They've all since moved uh, to other institutions. At some other point in his sentence, Saul Batesh went on a hunger strike for two weeks. He said he would not eat until the penitentiary fed him kosher food. He claimed his human rights were being violated, but at the time, it was deemed not a violation. I believe that since changed that prisoners would be able to practice dietary restrictions mandated by their spiritual practice. Mm. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I might be wrong on that. Saul's hunger strike seemed more like a self-serving, time-wasting ploy, though. He was found in good health and had been eating snacks like popcorn, granola, and soft drinks from the canteen. Yeah, of course. So that's that's some hunger strike. I, yeah. That's a hunger strike I could get behind. <laughs> when that allows her eating. Yeah, exactly. Joseph Woods applied for full parole in 2000, but was denied after it was determined he was unwilling to fully own his part in the murder of Emmanuel Jacques and was evasive in his answers to the parole board. Mm -hmm. He died behind bars in 2003. Oh. From the Toronto Sun, Joseph Woods, also known as Joseph Michael Woodsworth, died of natural causes at a Saskatoon hospital on April 10th, 2003, at the age of 58. Suffering from hepatitis C, he was transferred from a federal prison to the hospital two months before he died of liver and kidney failure. Oh, that sounds painful. Oh. Well, and sounds like he suffered a long time. Mm, that's tragic. Oh. In 2002, Robert Wayne Cribbs, 54 at the time, applied for parole. Of course, this was denied, as Cribbs was found to be still a problem, and even though he'd participated in many programs inside, was determined to be an unmanageable risk to the community at the time. The report reads in part, Quote, the psychiatrist indicates that you suffer from antisocial personality disorder and pedophilia, noting that you present as significantly psychopathic. Whew. End quote. Significantly psychopathic. Yeah. Wow. Saul David Patesh waived his first parole hearing the same year, and he continued writing letters, which was listed as one of his hobbies early on in prison. Hmm. Between 2010... In 2018, profiles for Batesh showed up on websites, one Canadian Inmates Connect and another American-based site called Inmate Connection, and his profile read, name, Saul Batesh. Yeah, we've talked about this kind of yeah, thing before. Yeah. Um, 
uh, Mark Twitchell had one. That's right. Yeah, and and so does Justin Burke, the Moncton Mountie murderer. That's right. Yes. Yep. Name: Saul Batesh. Institution: Pacific Penitentiary. Address: three 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 four four King Road, P.O. Box thirty one hundred, Abbotsford, British Columbia, mm. V2S four P four. So, if any of you want to write a letter, it's awfully close. Yes, it is. Date of birth, July 20th, 1950. So that's just gone by. So he is 69 now. Convicted of first-degree murder. Expected release date, unknown. Interested in corresponding with both women and men. And here he describes himself a little bit. My name is Saul David Patesh. I prefer Saul. I was born on July 20th, 1950, so that makes me 68 years young. So he was writing this in... I stand six feet and one half inches tall. I'm a bit overweight, but that can be explained by eating all the great prison food for the last 41 years. I was born Jewish, and though I practice the faith, I am also practicing Druid Bard. Okay. I have several interests that I pursue as often as I can find a worthy opponent. I'm an avid Dungeons and Dragons fan. Though I have to say I prefer the new Pathfinder system, and I am planning to publish several campaigns. In a nearly related hobby, I play Magic the Gathering. These sound like things that you would play with kids, don't they? Mm-hmm. I have several powerful decks reaching all the way back to the Alpha Test. I also play chess, but I am not that great. My more artistic hobbies involve stained glass, which I do because I love working with glass, and I sew quilts and comforters for charity. Other than that, I read and work in the prison greenhouse and watch some science fiction TV. In closing, I won't lie to you. My crime was bad. That's an understatement. But with treatment and a bit more time, I feel I can once again become a productive member of society. I will answer all letters, male or female, that are respectful. The others I will trash. I will not write anyone under the age of 20. I hope to hear from you. We're happy to know he's nearby. Yikes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So how dismissive of his crime? Eh, My crime was bad, uh, but I'm getting better. You've been in there for, what, 41 years, was it? 41 years and with just a bit more treatment, Mike. Just a bit. Just a bit more treatment. He'll be good to go. How much time do you need for treatment here? Like, you're, no, you'd. It's not obviously getting better. No, no. Yeah, my crime was bad. Yeah. I brutally tortured, raped, and murdered a 12-year-old child. Yeah, it was bad. You didn't have a lot to say during this podcast today, Scott. No, no. It, uh. So, yeah. Do you it, want to elaborate on why that is? Well, uh, when I was about eight, eight-ish, uh, I was sexually assaulted by uh, a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some parallels in here that hit me that make me go uh, just in the, um, well, they didn't really, I wouldn't say they were grooming, but just some of the acts in which happened. Um, it's impossible for me to not 
flashback to the events that happened to me emotionally. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm I'm putting myself in that child's um, shoes, yeah, in his place, and I I know I know the fear, yeah, that he was feeling. I know the fear, and because he trusted this adult, right? As did I. Yes. Yeah. As did I. You. You. I. I. I trusted and uh, was assaulted. And yeah, that moment in which that trust, when you recognize that, no, this is, mm-hmm. this person's been lying to me so that they can do this act, uh, there's a huge, huge sadness, a huge, huge um, uh, betrayal. And then you're just scared. You, yeah. you you do the things that you're told to do because you don't know any better. You don't know what's normal behavior. Uh, you don't know what your emotions are, and you still you still trust and you're still trying to believe because you don't want. But then there's moments where you're like, uh, "Am I going to get out of here alive?" No, oh, wow. You know, and, did yeah. you did you think that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, and then also when the threats are, if you tell anybody, I will kill your family. And so there is a constant. Oh, fear. I didn't realize that he had said that to yeah, you. Yeah. So there was a constant fear of uh, death was a, a, a constant pervasive feeling, whether it be mine mm-hmm. or whether it be people I loved. And so, yeah. So I think that's probably why some of these boys who, uh, that Batesh and Cribs, uh, and possibly Woods had, had tortured and, and done these awful things to before, why they hadn't come forward previously, um, because they were threatened. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's really, really, I, I didn't tell anybody in my household for, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years. I don't even remember when I, when I've talked about it with anybody, but, um, you know, and so what really strikes me is, um, as the story is being told of how close I came to potentially not being here, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, like everything was so similar and reminded me so much. Uh, thankfully I was able to get out, but it just, yeah, I keep thinking about like, God, it was so so close. I was so close, you know. So hearing this poor boy's uh, Emmanuel's experience, it's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, yeah. Like I relate so much up to a point, and yeah, I mean, <sighs> it 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 looked like this kid was killed just because these guys feared the consequences of what they were doing. Like it was, it's that simple. Yeah, and you know what? Like I still, uh, I'm 45, and I've still. Uh, never contacted the authorities i've never mm. uh, i've never tried to do anything about it because uh, that fear was instilled so young and so early that it just followed me and i riddled with guilt about it because that constant well i'm sure because i remember him saying to me like oh yeah no i've got two kids uh, i'm not allowed to see them my wife won't let me see them and so clearly there's a there's a uh uh, a pattern with the guy. And so I'm riddled with guilt that I never spoke up because he's probably, he, he probably continued. And, yeah. I, and I don't know his name. He only gave me uh, a, a nickname. But I mean, I should probably still do something about it. I, I remember the house 
I remember brief, like I know approximately the area. Maybe the authorities can try to do the same landlord or something and try to track down who maybe resided there. Well, yeah, they they could definitely do it. So, I mean, I should probably, you just spend so much of your life just trying to push it out. You just spend so much of your life trying to not think about it so that you can uh, move forward. And so, uh, it's not even so much a conscious, like, ah, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody at this point. It's just, you you just try to, like, I don't want to think about this anymore. Yeah, and I, that's the point it got to for me with, yeah. with the guy that had done it to me. Yeah. Until I realized that my holding on to it was making me sick. Yeah. yeah and, I, and not dealing with it was actually making me sick. And holding me back from a lot of other things in my life. I mean, the reason we're doing this podcast is partially due to my being able to uh, extricate myself yeah, yeah. From, from that by being honest about it. So, you know, and, and as much as, um, yeah, yeah I, 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 I should, I should, I should, uh, whether anything could be done or not, and he's probably long gone, but I should. Well, you and I can do it together. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, there I would for you. I'm there that. for you. I would you appreciate that. that. Maybe I'll take you up on that. It's, uh, cause yeah, if you I want, mean, Hey, I'm good at research. We can, yeah. You know, and I've, I know a guy, as much as I've spent, as much time as I spent in therapy over the last five years, uh, very little of it has dealt with, uh, the trauma, the the sexual abuse. It was uh, primarily dealing with the suicide of, a who I deemed a parent at four. And so it's, that's where most, I never really, rarely even talked about or got the, all my therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists all knew about that but we focused on the first one so, yeah yeah so I, I still i still need to try to process this shit yep well like i said i'm there for you if you ever want to do anything about right. it thanks brother i really appreciate that this is a pretty pretty heavy show yeah <laughs> <laughs> fuck. Uh, so fuck these guys yeah so his profile was removed from the canadian site i haven't bothered to look at the american site yeah uh, it may have been the press that the site received afterward, uh, or he might have just found a pen pal who he really likes chatting with. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. There are plenty other killers with profiles still there looking for pen pals or even love. Ugh. It's so, it, again, I tried my damnedest to always have that um, mentality that the judicial system is about reform, not, uh, not punishment. But yet... Um, I still, like, I still struggle with, like, uh, and I get, I don't know all of these cases of these murderers who have profiles there, but the emotional side of me is like, no, no, you shouldn't have this uh, uh, luxury. But again, that's just the emotional side speaking. It's crazy to think that there's people out there like, I want to talk with a murderer. Like, I want to become a murderer's pen pal. Well, I'm thinking what constitutes recovery from that state of mind that you're in to murder somebody? You've crossed that line. Yeah. You have done the ultimate awful deed to another human being, and there is no coming back from that. Well, but You we, are a murderer for the rest of your life. We know that there are such uh, wide-ranging reasons for murder, and, so, you know, there's ones that are completely, uh, you're just, you were in a bar fight. My crime was bad, Scott. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> It was bad. My crime was bad. It was bad. But I mean, like, yeah, I, you know, 
also, you know, you're raised in an environment of abuse and drug addiction. Uh, it's somewhere but he in this. No, I'm saying like, you know, somewhere in the States and all you are surrounded by is violence and murder and violence and murder. And then you get, you know, to try to find family, you get caught up in a gang and you, you know, uh, to try to impress you, you, you do something stupid. There's the crimes like that where, you know, I definitely do feel there can be rehabilitation. There can be a return. Uh, but you've got dill weeds like this guy. I think it's and, uh, when sexual, it, sexual predator crimes. When it involves that predatory sexual component. That I don't yeah. think can, I, you can, I don't think you can unteach that. Yeah. I don't think you can. It's like your wiring is screwed. Yeah. Yeah. So Batesh, now, uh, I guess he would be 69 now. He'd been waiving his right to parole until early this year. Mm. And in February, his request for escorted day passes was heard by the parole board here in BC and denied. Yeah, well, I think as we addressed in a previous comment there or a previous point, he's not willing to, you know... I'm getting close to being healed and this like he and he's very dismissive of his crime so I don't see him in there going like yes I did something stupid I'm a terrible I see him being dismissive mm -hmm. of what he's done and you're not getting out if no. that's the way you're going to uh, no. present yourself and so yeah I mean you've got if you live if you live to the average of 75 yeah he's got five more years to turn himself around before he kicks the bucket <laughs> He's almost there, Mike. Yeah. Yes. 41 years of, of progress, Mike. It's It's been... I was waiting for year 42. That's Bef when I'm really going to take changed. this serious. And that's what I see. It's like, what changed in the last 10 months? Did you have like this weird epiphany? I mean, I've had epiphanies myself mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, I'm off in a different direction in my life. I yeah. have yeah. a whole different foundation. <laughs> I've had this weird spiritual awakening. I'm on my way. Yeah. But uh, yeah... I don't know. It does something. It just doesn't feel right. Like there's a convenience, a hell of a convenience when uh, you're coming up for freedom. Yeah. And suddenly now is the time that you feel as if you've changed. How, how, how convenient. Alan Warren and I will be talking to a Canadian parole board person so oh. somebody who's been involved in the canadian parole system yes, yes. for years on his show coming up uh in august oh that'll be fascinating yes so i will let folks know because i am going to ask this person all those questions that i have been begging to yes, ask yes and i'm going to see if alan will actually allow me to release it as maybe a, a bonus episode here or, mm -hmm. or i don't know how it will work but we'll, yeah. we'll figure out some way for you folks to hear it yeah yeah yeah, that will be that'll be fascinating. I, I, I've talked to you before, but I have a friend who's a uh, a probation officer mm -hmm. uh, who who puts their information forward to the pro parole board, and so uh, uh, I've had some pretty crazy conversations about what she's had to deal with, and because she works like right in the prison in the cells, and uh, uh, you know, and, and get, getting to pick her brain about the system, and it's not. Um, it's not a job I would want because you you want to react with emotion, but you can't. Yeah. You have to react with, uh, you, these are just the facts. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so. Uh, and you're hearing from this person who's telling you about where they're at. Yep. And 
you may be hearing something different than they want you to hear. Well, that's what was fascinating about the job was like she is very much to our old job in management in many ways where you've got a team of 25 people that you oversee and you have to deal with cons. That's kind of what her job was like as well. And so she has to meet with them, each person daily, but you have to have a sit down every week and go over what they're doing and what, and for decades in some, you know, if you work there for that long. And so mm-hmm. you really like you're. Because some of these guys are in there for heinous crimes. Oh God, a lot of them. And some of them we've talked about. Yes, a lot of them, you know, uh, and yeah, so like it's, it's you really get to know uh, the prisoner and you really get a good feel for their, their bullshit. So how can anybody who's full of shit ever be recommended for parole? Is it that they're just such a good manipulative psychopath that they fool their worker or their, uh, their caseworker? I, I, I think that's pretty hard to do. Um, and also, like, if you just get a new caseworker, you're still going to have archived all of the previous. So if all these other ones are like, nope, not doing anything, not doing anything, and then the new one comes in, it's like, he's doing great. That's probably not going to be uh, weighed very heavily. But, you know, there, the, it reminds me a lot about when we're talking about uh, um, found not guilty uh, due to uh, mental health issues, you know, insanity. Um Sometimes these people, there are sometimes violent criminals really have a sickness. Well, they really have, but no, they really have, um, they're better kind of like, you know, so like, uh, we talked about the beheading on the bus in Winnipeg and I think in an, in an after show and he's out on day pro or day, day pass and whatnot, or, or completely out. out. And we feel like. We feel completely uncomfortable about it. We feel like, no, that shouldn't happen, but... We don't know the particulars. He, he may legit, well, very likely is legit in a, doing fine yeah. and not a threat to anybody. And so yeah. that's kind of like, we want to say to anybody who's committed extremely disgusting crimes, we want for them to just remain away from the rest of society and public forever, but... They may have really been doing the things that they've been needing to do for a very long time and and showing genuine remorse and stuff. But uh, it's pr- typically, if looking at this dillweed, uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he's not going, it's not in his character. And if he suddenly is like, no, I'm, I've done a lot of things and I feel great and I've changed. It's like, well, that really differs from those 41 years, Yeah, you know? And so it's, it isn't easy to get parole, but yeah, sometimes people do fake it. Sometimes people are very good and they get out and, and, and do terrible things. But, uh, it's such a, it's a, you're going to have a very interesting time with, uh, talking to that parole board person. It's a really yep. fascinating, uh, topic. And I think you're really going to. Yeah. I'll let I, you, I'll let everybody know. When, yeah. When it's yeah. I, I really look forward to hearing that. As well as Horowski's book, Outraged, he wrote that there are others who have kept the story of Emmanuel Jacques alive through creative means. And there's been other books and those kind of things. And mm-hmm. some of them are really interesting. One author used, uh, sort of the backdrop of this as an, as a novel. Oh. Which is which is very interesting. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll I'll post links to everything yeah. uh, in the show notes. But one is a punk band, and their name is The Curse. Oh, and here are some lyrics from their song "Shoeshine Boy." Shoeshine Boy, is that your pay? 
How'd you earn a hundred bucks today? They'll beat you. They'll beat you, mistreat you. They'll find you wrapped in a plastic bag. Whoa. That's it for this week's story. Whoo. All right. So are you okay with uh, yeah. having done this one? I, yeah. I, yeah. I kind of was a little concerned for you because I knew that there would be some triggers here. Yeah. So that's why we'll do that warning at the it, beginning. And It's tough. It's very tough, but it's also healthy to be able to uh, speak and uh because you're not alone with it once it's out there yeah, and yeah. you've had conversations about it and you are no longer alone it it is not a stressor in your life as it was and, and as you know like i'm i'm not at all afraid to talk about my stories i've done it uh, often yeah. uh you know i'm i'm more than willing to to share and talk about it i just didn't want to uh, i didn't the, hadn't found the right time to talk about it on the show or anything like that it wasn't a focus that i need to just yep. so you know thanks for allowing me to, to yeah, share on this for one sure. because it, it, it felt like this is the right moment to do it because it's it's yep it's hitting me i always want to give you that opportunity to share about whatever you want to share about yeah. i mean we both yeah. have some interesting traumas that we <laughs> we've had to talk about and i mean yes. you know one i alluded to a little bit last week about the guy who who tried to beat me to death yes, so that yes. was kind of fun yeah but anyway that happened but but i'm good i'm good it was uh, i appreciate getting to to speak it there you go uh before we go let's uh let's extricate ourselves from the darkness and yes. talk about some positive things yes uh we want to give shout outs to our patreon patrons the good eggs continue <sighs> thank you goodness for good eggs oh my goodness yeah. gracious me Thank you to Christine Johnson from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Thank you, Christine. Allison Matthews from Derby, England, who we just saw on our live show. Yeah. Pip, pip. <laughs> Cheerio. Cheerio. Janet, <laughs> Janet Shepard from Seaford, Australia. Oh, Seaford. You go uh, jump in a water box if it's hot. Hello, nice lady. There, I did it. I knew. You did. That's exactly why she's probably, yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> Maria Pendle. Yeah. Yep. Okay, yeah. Yep, Maria Pendle from uh, Colorado. Yeah, she's from Colorado, and you know what she does? No idea. It's something I've I, I've always wanted to do, not oh. as a career, but she is a white water rapids guide. Oh, interesting. Yep. So, so she guides people down the Colorado River, probably. Exactly. Yeah. What a dangerous. I mean, could you, like, I'd be afraid to do it one time, let alone teach it, doing it multiple times a day. There you go. Multiple times a day. From what I can recall, she has only fallen out of the boat every single time. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Yeah. But she just gets back on it, Mike. There you go. She gets back on it. Sheena Anderson from Victoria, B.C. Hey, Sheena. Laura Luckett from Ilderton, Ontario. Oh, man, there's some, that's a, I love that name. There's just a flows. Lauren Luckett. Lauren Luckett. Kevin Lewis. Yeah. Is he uh, Carl Lewis's uh, uncle? No, Huey Lewis's son. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know what I've heard about Huey Lewis? Uh, he wants a new drug? Yeah. Yeah, he does. He does. One that can't blow away? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that won't hurt his head. Nope. All those kind of All things. of those things. Yeah. And uh, he, oddly, though, he lives in, uh, uh, oh, I want to say Wales, but it's not. Uh, new, uh, it, it, there's an England component, be it New England. Okay. Or England. Oh, so you're not sure where it is. No. But, but what does Kevin do? Is he like Huey? Does he sing? No, he, he he's a lawyer. Oh. For, for ca a cattle lawyer. Oh, for 
mis mistreated cattle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's, it's quite Farmer rampant. John. Yeah. He not only branded me, but he did it twice. Yeah. Yeah, and this oh, is no. and uh, Kevin is the advocate for said Good cows. for you. Yeah, it's 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 work that needs to be done. Uh here's one that I'm uh quite concerned <laughs> about. Godzilla hamster. Yes. Yes. That one just kind of speaks for itself, does it not? It does. Well, he has no fixed address cuz he's just roaming the world stomping cities. Stomping around. Yes, a gigantic hamster. <laughs> Godzilla Hamster. Yep. Just roaming, stomping. How did, like, who is he? Boy, when when Godzilla hamster gets in its wheel. Oh my goodness! The, the big round glass wheel it just flattens towns. Well, that I mean, the hamster that we used to have made so much noise. It was <laughs> it was crazy. It was just like this crazy amount of noise. I can't imagine Godzilla hamster being in your room on his wheel. Yeah, just crushing folks. Just crushing, crushing. it out. But it's not, it's not not a malicious Godzilla hamster. It's not like yes, I want to kill people. It's just living its life, man. There you go. It just happens to be that it. He's got tattoos. Living its life means like we get crushed, but yeah, it's not trying to. But what can it do? Spiked up hair. What can it when you're that big? What's pink? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it's it's quite the uh, uh, alternative. Yeah, hamster listens to the listens to the clash. Oh, loves the clash. Yeah, yeah. you should see the size of its. Headphones. He fought the law, and the law won. Yeah, you should see the size of its headphones, Mike. Oh, nice. Yeah, huge. <laughs> Torin Granger from Surrey, BC. Woo woo. Andrea Freeze from Surrey, BC. What's going on? A two from wow. Surrey. Wow, thank, thank you, you, folks. Torin and Andrea. Yeah, so hopefully we'll see Torin and or Andrea at our uh, next meetup that yep. we have. We're we might have something here in town. Yeah, uh, I think we need to do a Surrey one and just say, hey, you know what, folks, come out to Surrey and see us. There's a there's a good chunk of people here. There's yeah. totally a good yeah, chunk. Yeah, just of make people. it nice and easy for them. Yeah. Eileen Villeneuve from Calgary, Alberta. Who I know. You do? I do. How do you know her? Uh, we worked with uh, her husband. Oh. For a while. At the telecom? I think, I think they're married. You know, what a weird... I Was it really at the telecom? Then? Yep. Oh. Yep. And uh, they, they would come out to roller derby games when I was shooting and stuff. Oh. She is so nice. There you go. Just a sweetheart. Well, yeah. thanks, Eileen Villeneuve, and uh, I. Scott will tell me off the air, I guess, who your husband is. Yeah. Uh, True Crime Horror Story, a podcast from California, has supported us. Looks like they've just started, so you can catch them right from the beginning at oh. truecrimehorrorstory.com. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Uh, I often check to see if people are patrons of any other shows, and many of you support our show exclusively, so... Thank you so much. It really warms the heart. Like, I can't, I know I say these things constantly, but it really, like, genuinely, the fact that people like us enough to support us financially is just so amazing. And so one gentleman who sent us, uh, who is a patron already, sent us some donut money. What? And his name is Peter Fontaine. And he is the guy who we said was a waffle maker. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. And he says, I'm way, uh, he says, while I would enjoy being a waffle maker, I'm way less interesting and just a systems engineer from Farmington, Massachusetts. However, I'm also a former Pai Lum guy. So oh. we studied the same wow. martial art. That's wow. really cool. Wow. 
I, so, I still think he's he's a waffle maker. He's just he's just being modest. He's just a waffle making systems engineer. Yeah, Maybe he, he's making systems for, for waffle, waffle makers. Oh. Wow. Yeah. That's meta. Erin Grumbach. And she says, she sent us uh, enough money for us to actually go to the Museum of Anthropology. Oh. And she said, this is for cultural experiences. You guys get enough money for donuts and poutine. Go check out the Museum of Anthropology at UBC. Okay. It will blow your minds. Love you guys. Thanks for being a highlight of my week. Oh. Every week, XO, XO, X. Oh, Aaron, thank you. And let's do that. Let's go to the Museum of Anthropology. I agree. And we should go to the Museum of Anthropology, you and I, and we should take pictures. Oh, hells yes. Because there's do some it. great stuff there. Yeah, I I've bet. been there. I've been there before. I think I may have a long time ago, but I'm... But let's choose like a Saturday, Sunday and yep, go. That, let's do it. Not this Saturday. No, I've got plans. Yeah. <laughs> Furman Windells said, send donut money, which is interesting because he sent it to us and he didn't... It wasn't a request, I don't think. So, so, does that mean we have to send it back? I hope not. Lauren Smith, but thank you, Furman. Thank you, Furman. Lauren Smith said, thank you for presenting such interesting cases with compassion and integrity. Get donuts for Joanna and Carol, too. Uh, they don't want donuts. Worried we'll eat them. No, no we'll, we'll I'm get pretty them. sure they do. Yeah, we'll get them for sure. Ariana Armstrong, who we also just saw on our live show, yes, yes. said with her pledge, greetings from Halifax. Here's some donut money. Wish it could be more because I really like you guys. I tell my, all my friends about your podcast. I want to get them to listen to. And you know what? Oh. That is the best way to support the show. Yeah. You know, and, and it, never, nobody ever has to apologize for wishing they could do more pennies. It, it matter to us. Like it, it's I the fact I that you sent anything it, it is just incredible. I wish I had the wherewithal to put together a show daily, but I cannot. Oh my God. Well, I, I do. I would love to be able to give to people more, but... Uh, yeah, but... Oh, yeah, it, that's not going to happen. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much to our patrons past and present for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show. If you want to help support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Or for one-time support, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. And that's where you could send an interact pay uh like an interact oh, yeah, yes. donation as well because people have done that too sweet if you don't already it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show you can easily find us on itunes podcast google play stitcher or spotify wherever you get your on-demand audio check out our website darkpatine.com for show notes and other cool stuff give us a follow or a like on facebook twitter and instagram and apparently instagram is where the kids are hanging out these days I get lots of messages there, so it's 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 where it's it's happening, Mike. It's happening. It's happening. But mo as we said before, most importantly, tell your friends. Word of mouth oh, is a yes. powerful thing. It's been our biggest uh, resource. So there you go. Whew. Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye bye, everybody. Ciao.